Exodus chapter 4, verse 30. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. When they, and when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And Father, we're thankful that you do see and hear the things that we're going through. You hear our prayers, you see our sufferings, and you care. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe. Lord, we want to confess again, we believe, help our unbelief. Because as things can be difficult, Lord, we can wonder where you are. But I thank you so much for the testimony of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us without an understanding without a clarity from your word that you are indeed the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and that you're always working through the, even the most difficult circumstances. Thank you that you are bigger than our suffering. Meet us here today, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, Amen. How do we respond when things go from bad to worse, how do we respond? Especially I want to talk to, address you guys that are Jesus followers, those of you who claim to follow Jesus. How do we respond as Jesus followers when things go from bad to worse? Because this is what the, the Israelites are going to experience in this section we're going to look at today. They, they've already gone through 400 years of going from Deliverance from famine as they go into Egypt, as the whole story that we, we looked at in weeks past about uh, what God did through Joseph, one of the sons of Israel. And, and they, there they were, 75 people, and there they're in Egypt, and they experienced several generations of just kind of growing, expanding, developing within this kind of womb of Egypt, you might say. But eventually, there's a Pharaoh who's raised up who didn't know Joseph and didn't trust the Hebrews, and so eventually he makes them slaves. But this was not a surprise to God. In fact, God told, told Israel, listen, when you go in with your family to Egypt, you will be serving them for 400 plus years. And then, with a strong hand, I will bring you out. So things get so bad that, that Moses, if you remember, Moses who was uh, at a time when the when the the, the, the Egyptians were feeling threatened by the Hebrews, and so they started killing the Hebrew children that were being born, the males that were being born. That Moses' parents saw that he was a beautiful child, saw that this was something, someone that they felt God had a calling on. They hid him in this little ark and sent him off in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and says, I've taken him from the river. I've named him Moses. And he grows up in Pharaoh's household. He gets the best education he can have. He learns about leadership. He learns about military might. He learns different languages. But he comes to a certain age where he kind of realizing somehow that he is actually Hebrew, and he sees his brothers and sisters, his Hebrew brothers and sisters being oppressed, and he thinks, i got to do something. And you guys remember the story. What does he do? Takes matters into his own hands and actually murders somebody. Cold-blooded, premeditated murder. And finds out that, well, not only are the Egyptians not going to be happy with this, but even the Hebrews weren't happy with this. And so he runs away into the desert. Then he spends 40 years looking after his father-in-law's sheep. 
And then God decides to show himself to Moses after 40 years and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked in, in chapter four where God has to kind of convince Moses of this calling. He, he, God has to show him that he's trustworthy. God has to show Moses that he's good and trustworthy to overcome his resistance to the call. And we talked about how that's kind of similar how God calls us to follow him. But God does it. God overcomes his resistance and sends Moses and his brother Aaron to the Israelites. And as we just read, when he tells them what God's plan is, they believe. They're like, yes, God, you're going to do this. And it's looking like it's going to be really positive. And then we get to chapter 5. And here's what we read in chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, I, I'm kind of projecting on my mind what the scenario would have looked like. Moses going in, in confidence. God says, let my people go. Feeling like God has spoke to me. God's revealed himself to me. God's confirmed that me and Aaron are supposed to do this. The people believe. Let's go. We're going to have a victory. Here it goes. And, and Pharaoh says, no, you can't go. And so what does Moses do? Verse 3. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Moses said, behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Now, we're seeing a situation where there's no doubt God has called Moses. There's no doubt God is going to deliver his people. Remember, Moses is writing the story down. And he wants anyone who reads this to know, you've got to know how bad things were before you see how good they got. And I wish I could say that this section is going to be the darkest section in Exodus, but it's not. It's going to get even darker than this. But it's important for us to see that something's going on here, that God really does want to show his people that he does allow temporary suffering because he wants to show his eternal goodness. And here's the thing about suffering. Suffering is the one topic that all of us have experience in. We all get it. And, and, I, and I, I, I see in Pharaoh here a picture of how suffering came into the world as well as how suffering continues in the world. That is, suffering originates in a defiance against God. Pharaoh, when he hears God say through Moses and Aaron, you need to let my people go, he says, who's God? Because in Pharaoh's mind, he is the, the leader of the world's biggest superpower. Who's God to tell him? What God's going to tell me what I'm going to do? In fact, actually, the Egyptians would have seen Pharaoh as kind of a little God, as a deified God, not unlike how the Romans saw the Caesar. And so, so he's thinking, well, who's this God? But here's the reality. People are suffering. The Hebrews are suffering greatly. Why? Because this man refuses to acknowledge God. And this is really the default position of all of us. Of all humanity, the default position is that we either ignore God 
or we try to control God, or we try to do both. Listen to what the scripture says in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. The apostle Paul writes this. Yes, humanity knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. See, Pharaoh rejects God's authority because it was a challenge to his own. But also... When Moses is saying, listen, you've got to do this because if you don't do this, and it's interesting how Moses kind of goes from, he goes from proclaiming to pleading. Let my people go to, please let us go. How he tries to appeal to Pharaoh's compassion. You've got to let us go because if you don't let us go, God's going to be mad at us and all this bad stuff's going to happen to us. Well, God didn't actually say that. But it's almost as if Moses is coming to a place where he's thinking, uh, maybe I'll have better luck with Pharaoh's compassion than with God's authority. But Pharaoh says, no, sorry, I'm more concerned with my productivity, what the slaves will do for me in fulfilling my plans, than some God who's telling me I should let them go. See, Pharaoh resists God's plan because they interfere with his plan. And because he's doing that, more suffering comes. Well, look at verse 6. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. He says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and, and, and gather straw for themselves. Now straw is what you would put into the mud that would kind of bind the bricks together, okay? And so that used to be supplied to them as they're making the mud and making the bricks. But now he's saying, no longer. But he says, listen, verse 8, but the number of bricks that they have made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it. For they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regards to lying words. Can you see what Pharaoh's doing? Pharaoh is oppressing God's people because he's rejecting God's truth. Again, this is just like us. Now, we need to think about this as we're, as we're getting into this part of the story of Exodus. We need to think about this idea of suffering originating, as in, originating in defiance toward God. Because here's the reality. Like the Hebrews, we experience suffering because other people reject God's standard. Their sin against God causes our suffering. And when I say they and our, I don't mean... Christians and non-Christians, I mean each other, right? We sin against God and we hurt each other. And every one of us, we do this, we, we experience suffering, some sorts of suffering we experience because of people rebelling against God, not wanting to do what God says. This is what happens. People suffer all the time from my driving. God says, obey the laws of their land, and I'm like, they're more like serving suggestions. So I'm not the greatest driver, and people get angry at me, which is why I don't have any Christian bumper stickers on my car. <laughs> but it's much worse than that, isn't it? it it's, it's much more dangerous than that. We experience suffering. But also, like, we, we, like the Hebrews, we experience suffering because people reject God's standard, but also like Pharaoh, we cause suffering because we reject God's standard. Our sin against God causes others' suffering. I'm having a conversation yesterday with somebody who's been through some pretty serious abuse. 
And they're unpacking some of that. And as we're talking about the seriousness of this abuse, you kind of realize that, man, the, what the person did to them, probably thinking it wasn't that big a deal, probably just thinking it's okay for me to do this, caused long-lasting damage, decades of damage. Now, talking about this, thinking about seeing this, this, this situation in Exodus where Pharaoh is, is, is oppressing God's people and that their suffering is originating in Pharaoh's defiance of God, it doesn't end here. There's good news. Because if we fast forward to the New Testament, here's what we see. Listen, at the cross of Jesus, when Jesus is crucified, do you know what we see? We see the God who has compassion on sufferers and also is judging sinners. He's saving sinners. Because here's the thing we have to recognize, okay? And this is one of the things that is so important for us to see. From a, from a Christian viewpoint, from a biblical viewpoint, all humans, every single one of us, is both a sufferer and a sinner. We're both. So God has compassion on us, because we're sufferers, but he calls us to turn to him because we're sinners. And at the cross, deals, Jesus deals with both. Listen to this. Again, New Testament, Romans chapter 3. For everyone has sinned. We all fall, fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I want you to think about this. All the things that you've done in rebelling against God's standard and rejecting God's standard that have hurt people, and I'm talking about the stuff that maybe nobody knows about because you're afraid to admit it. God died for all those things in Christ Jesus. He paid the price. He paid the price so you could be completely forgiven of the suffering you've caused. You've caused. But I want you to think about this. The God who sent his son to die experienced the suffering we experience on the cross. So his compassion isn't just like looking from a distance going, hmm, that must hurt. But one who entered into our pain and knows exactly what our suffering is like. So that he can relate to every one of us as sufferers and he can save every one of us as sinners. That's the good news. Now what happens after this, right? Pharaoh uh, doesn't want to hear what God has to say through Moses and Aaron. So he increases the, the, the workload on the Hebrew slaves. What happens? Verse 10. Follow me. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and saw the people said, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work shall not be reduced in the least. And so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt and gathered stubble from, for straw. Stubble is like after they've harvested straw and there's a little bit that's kind of still rooted in the ground, they had to dig it up with their bare hands so they could make the bricks. And the taskmasters, verse 13, were urgent in saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel whom the Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Pretty heavy situation. 
Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants that you say, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. Now I want you to understand what's going on here, okay? Especially in this kind of language where it says that they cried out. Notice where it says that they cried out to Pharaoh. In verse 15, they cried to Pharaoh. And they said, look, we're your servants. Because Moses, when he writes this, is wanting us to think about when we, we saw Israel earlier when they're enslaved and they're desperate and they're crying out to their God and saying, we're your servants, why don't you rescue us? Because here's what's going on. Their suffering is increasing through their distorted perspectives. Because as they're suffering, they're beginning to see things the wrong way. They're thinking, okay, I don't know if God is just, but maybe the Pharaoh will be just. Maybe he'll do the right thing. Maybe we can put our confidence in him and he'll see the injustice of, of our experience. The Hebrews are kind of appealing to Pharaoh's sense of justice and pursuing him as the ultimate authority. Now we read this, and I don't know about you, but I read this and go, why would you do that? Why would you think that? 400 years of history would say, there's no way you could trust the Pharaohs to take care of the slaves. Why would you think this? But this is what we do. Our suffering can make us think less of God and more of people. The psalmist says this, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. If you're a Jesus follower, you should be prayerful, thoughtful, and intentional about how you vote, and you should vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for at all. We're going to all vote for probably different people. But you should vote, but you should never put your hope in princes. I know you're thinking, well, duh. But how often do we do that? How often do we get so frustrated with how bad things can be and thinking if only this party was in or only if this party would do this or only if this politician would do that, what are we doing? We're putting our hope in princes. Keep going, verse 16. Or verse 17, it says, but Pharaoh says, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. And the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks of your, for your daily task each day. See, see, the Hebrews perceived Pharaoh as just, but the Pharaoh perceived the Hebrews of, as lazy. See, here's what happens. Often when someone is accused, when we, when we are accused as someone who caused suffering, you know what we do? We blame the sufferer. Isn't this one of the things that we're recognizing now? As we're, as we're finally thinking through, and I, I put my hand up as someone who resisted this for a long time, but we are as a culture finally thinking through about the abuse that so many people have experienced growing up. Specifically women. And how we are quicker to believe the denial of the one who did the abuse than we are to believe the woman who said, I've been abused. And we do this. I've done this. Not because I've been accused of abuse, but just feeling like I'm lumped in. As a man, I'm lumped in with all the abusers, so I get defensive and say, well, maybe she didn't know, or maybe she should have said something, or 
I've done the same thing. And what is that? It's the experience of suffering, whether it's suffering we've caused or suffering we're accused of, that causes us to distort our perspective. Oh, those slaves, they're not treated bad, they're just lazy. Look at verse 20. They met, these are the Hebrew foremen, the ones who are being beaten because the other slaves can't keep up. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. The Hebrews look at Moses and Aaron who are trying to do what God's called them to do and go, you guys are just troublemakers. And you might be thinking the same thing of me right now. Why do you got to say this harsh stuff? Especially you guys who are Jesus followers are thinking, come on, John, talk nicer. But I'm not saying anything that the scripture isn't revealing, am I? I'm not saying anything that isn't true about us, if we're honest. See, the reason it's important for us to see this is because, listen, God has great compassion on our suffering, more than any person you'll know. But one of the problems is because we don't look to God when we need that compassion, our idea about things gets distorted through that suffering, whether we're doing the suffering or we're the one experiencing the suffering or both. And this is what's going on with the Hebrews. And it's interesting because when we suffer, we are often both unaware and unappreciative of those who are trying to help us in our suffering. I used to be so suspicious of social services. So suspicious. You can't trust social services. They just want to take people's kids away. That was, the, was in the back of my mind. Until I dealt with social services. You know what? Sometimes there, there's truth. Some social service people that we dealt with have been so great, but the majority have been phenomenal. They work massive hours to help kids in the toughest situations. My oldest son's a social worker. Serious, heavy, hard stuff. Why? Because our perspectives get distorted because we're in suffering. And, here, and here's the thing, too. When we see suffering or we experience suffering, when that happens, we tend to look for an easy answer. There's a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus is with his disciples and they come upon a man who's, who's been born blind and the disciples ask him a question. Listen to this. John chapter 9. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There's got to be a reason. They must be guilty of something. Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this is probably the hardest thing for us to overcome, to put our faith in Jesus. Jiden kind of brought this up, didn't he, in in answering the question of what's tough now that you're following Jesus. He said it's tough to just believe when things are tough. It's hard. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? And maybe some of you who are just kind of on the outside looking and you're kind of going, well, I'm not too sure about this Jesus stuff, but you know, I'm here, I'm listening. The hardest thing for you to overcome might be this hurdle of what about suffering? If God's good and he's powerful, why doesn't he stop suffering? And I get that. It's a legitimate question. And there's not a simple, even a simple answer that, that, that I can give to you in your particular suffering. But here's what I'd say. What alternative is there? 
Because if there's not a God in heaven who's over all things, who hasn't promised to use all suffering for good, to glorify him, to show himself through the suffering, if there's not a God like that, then all of your suffering is meaningless. It means nothing. And one of the things I really appreciate about the scripture is as a, as a kind of a natural born cynic, someone who's slow to believe, is how honest the scripture is about human experience and human perspective. Because in that honesty, you know what I see? Hope. All right, God, I'm not a crazy person for feeling this way or, or responding this way. And also there's hope because I see the God himself who became a man overcoming all this suffering. I liked how Bev tied in in her story the fact that God got her attention through her current suffering. I guarantee you, Bev and her family do not want that. That's why we're praying that God delivers them from this, that it would heal them. Guarantee they don't want the suffering. But Bev is recognizing, but yet God's using the suffering to get my attention. And that's a good thing. And this is what we're going to see throughout Exodus. And this is what we're going to see in this last section from verse 22 down uh, to chapter 6, verse 13, is that suffering provides an opportunity for us to know God. And as things get even gnarlier in the book of Exodus, we're going to see that God's purposes in allowing these really heavy things to happen is so not just so the Israelites know who's saving them, so that the Egyptians know who wants to save them as well. So let's look at it. Verse 22 of chapter 5 says this, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Do you know any other God you can be that honest with? You can pray like that too? I don't. But what does the Lord say? Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So here's the thing. When, when Moses is questioning God, God reiterates his commitment. I love this. I love that when, when, when Moses is going, I don't know what you're doing, God. You're not doing what you said. God's going, no, no, no. I'm keeping my commitment. God doesn't say, how dare you question me? He says, let me, let me reiterate my commitment. L- look at this, right? In those verses we just read, you know what God's saying? I got the same plan, but now you're going to have a better perspective on it. Now you're going to see it even better. I've shared the story lots of times, but Sarah and I spent uh, a couple years uh, in the state of North Carolina trying to plant a church when I was in my late 20s, or mid to late 20s, and failed miserably. It was a really rough time. And I thought, that's it, I'm done. God's never going to use me in ministry again, and... Uh, I've just I've put so much strain on my family by doing this, and it was just a really low time for me. And it's it's amazing because now we look back and we see what God was doing in that two years, and after that we had really super fruitful ministry back in California. And we look back now and we go, oh Lord, that was one of the lowest times in our life, and we would never change it because God had a plan, and now I have His perspective on His plan. And I think, God, you're so good. You know exactly what you're doing. 
But also look at verse 2 of chapter 6. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and as God Almighty. Some of your versions might say El Shaddai, which is the Hebrew way to say God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, now, God's not saying, I'm a new God here. There's different ideas of what what might be happening, but I won't get into all those. I won't bore you with the theology behind it. But here's here's the idea. God's always been the same God. In fact, they probably even knew him as Yahweh, as we talked about in chapter 3. But they didn't understand what it meant for him to be the great I am. And now they're going to know. Same God, but they're going to have a closer relationship with him through the suffering. Look at verse 4. I also, God says, establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. In other words, they're not going to just be brought out of slavery. They're going to have a new home, a better home. The land in which they lived as sojourners. That's where they traveled before they got into Egypt. Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Remember we talked about when God remembers, and God goes, oh yeah, it's God saying, I'm keeping it. I'm going to act on it right now. So what's he saying to Moses? Moses, same covenant, but a fuller experience of it. Listen, I'm not trying to make light of whatever suffering you're going through. I I really am not, because I don't know. I mean, just the stuff that I know about that people at servants are going through right now, it can be overwhelming. There's so much going on. And I don't want to make light of any of that. But here's what I'm convinced of from the testimony of God's word, that God wants to give us a better perspective a closer relationship and a fuller experience of what it means to be his people through that suffering. That's what God's doing. He's reiterating his commitment even as Moses is questioning God's commitment. Look at verse 6. Say therefore, God says to Moses, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you. In fact, I want you to kind of count if you're looking at the ESV version that I'm reading. Seven times God says, I will. Notice. I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with my outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I have sworn to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is what God says seven times. And what is he doing? He's wanting to emphasize, God's wanting to emphasize that he has authority over every authority. Every world power. Every hardship. And he will be faithful to every single promise. All of them. Where else are you going to find hope like that? Where else are you going to find a perspective on suffering like that? Seriously. I'm not trying to be smug. I'm being totally serious. Because as as hard as life can be, I'm so thankful there's a God who gives life. A God who is life. See, God clarifies his character even as the Hebrews are struggling to believe. Look at verse 9. What happens? Moses says all this to them, and it says that Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. 
because of their broken spirit in harsh slavery. Now listen, I want you to know right now, if you're feeling like these Hebrew slaves, you feel like you're spiritually broken, you're feeling like you, you have no hope for the future, you feel like your circumstances do, do not even allow you to believe in a God such as this, God still says to you, I'm going to keep my promises. He's that good. Lastly, in verse 10, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How shall then I, uh, shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. This is kind of a way for Moses to say, I'm just not qualified to be your rep. But verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the command, I'm sorry, about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. This is not God being insensitive to Moses' struggle. Because, man, put yourself in Moses' sandals. <laughs> How would you feel? All right, I, I've, I've had all this training in Egypt, but then I got humbled for 40 years in the desert, and then God calls me and says, you're going to go, and then I went, and the people believed me. Okay, it's going to happen. So I go in there with boldness, let my people go, and, and, and Pharaoh says, no. And then I beg, please let my people go, and Pharaoh still says, no. And then he makes things worse for the people, and the people blame you. How would you be feeling? And how is he feeling? God's not being insensitive to how he's feeling, but God has a perfect knowledge of what Moses needs to hear. Guys, listen, sometimes we read the scripture and it seems like God's just being harsh. God, I'm hurting. And then we read something, there's a command, do this. Well, can't you just listen to me, God? He does, all the time. Even when you don't direct your prayers towards him, even when you just complain to the air, even when you doubt that he's here, he still listens. But he commands because he knows what we need to do. Listen, God commands us, not because it's good for him, but because it's good for us. He calls us to obedience, not because obedience helps him or adds anything to him. He calls us to obedience because it helps us. It does us good. See, I love this because God's restating his command to Moses even when Moses is doubting his own calling. What's God doing? He's using this horrible place of suffering to say, I want to lay out how I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a spoiler. You guys ready for a spoiler? You want a spoiler? You ready for this? We're going to get to chapter 33. And when we get to chapter 33, you know what you're going to see? You're going to, say, you're going to see Moses say to God, God, just show me your glory. I just want to know you. You know what's a spoiler? Because right now, all Moses is thinking, I just want a different job. I just want to go back to the sheep. I just want to go back to my wife and children, or they're probably with him, but I want to go back to the, the, the deserted land. I can introvert out. It'll be lovely. This is what I want to do. But then God taking him through the suffering, he gets to the place where he says, God, I just want to see you. Do you want to be in that place? What would it be like? I want you to use your imagination right now. What would it be like to be in a place where no matter how difficult things are, you're going, I just want to know God. Do you want to be in that place? That's where God wants you to be because God can't give you anything better than himself.
See, God never, ever, ever wastes our pain. Never. This, this psalm that I'm going to read, Psalm 56, verse 8, I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I think I like the way it, it does it, but this verse was the verse that, that Alan and I uh, talked a lot about when, when Nathaniel first was hit by the car, that first week when things looked so dark. And all, all, all he could think and all I could think is why. This is the verse, listen. The psalmist says to God, you keep track of all my sorrows you have collected all my tears in your bottle. It's a way to say not a single tear is wasted. You have recorded each one in your book. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the suffering that you feel like you're going through right now, the tears that you've shed, even if you're not a crier like me, just you know when your heart weeps, don't you? And I want you to picture what the psalmist is talking about. God with his bottle saying, ooh, that one's precious. I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. Keeping track of every tear. Keeping every tear. And then write in this book, this is what you're feeling with that tear. This is what you're feeling with this tear. This is why you're feeling this way. And him knowing from his book, so to speak, him knowing exactly how he's going to work it together for good. God is bigger than our suffering. Do you believe that? Do you look at Jesus, the one who suffered with us and suffered for us, and do you believe that? Father, I pray you would help us to believe. We believe, help our unbelief. We thank you so much that you've brought Jaden to a place of faith where he wants to be baptized. You've brought Bev to a place of faith where she wants to be baptized. Lord, help us to rejoice. Help us as baptized people, those of us who have been baptized already, help us to not only rejoice with them, but rejoice in the faith that you've brought us to. And help us to have a confidence that you're going to use everything. You're not going to waste any of our pain. That you are indeed bigger than our suffering. Please, Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.